1: Good day ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the CAE first quarter conference call. Please be advised that this call is being recorded. I would now like to turn the meeting over to Mr. Andrew Arnovitz. You may now proceed, Mr. Arnovitz.
2: Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. Before we begin, I'd like to remind you that today's remarks, including management's outlook for fiscal year 22, and answers to questions, contain forward-looking statements. These forward-looking statements represent our expectations as of today, August 11, 2021, and accordingly, are subject to change. Such statements are based on assumptions that may not materialize and are subject to risks and uncertainties. Actual results may differ materially, and listeners are cautioned not to place undue reliance on these forward-looking statements. A description of the risks, factors, and assumptions that may affect future results is contained in C's annual MDNA available on our corporate website and on our filings with the Canadian Securities Administrators on SEDAR and the US Securities and Exchange Commission on EDGAR. On the call with me this afternoon are Marc Perron, C's President and Chief Executive Officer, and Sonia Branco, our Chief Financial Officer. After the remarks from Marc and Sonia, we'll take questions from financial analysts and institutional investors and following the conclusion of that Q&A period we will open the call to questions from members of the media let me now turn the call over to mark
3: thank you Andrew and good afternoon to everyone joining us on the call our positive momentum continued into the new fiscal year and I'm pleased with our strong first-quarter performance even in the midst of a pandemic we've been able to drive results by being adaptive and agile through some of the most rapidly changing circumstances. We reported top and bottom line growth across all three business units during the quarter, and on a consolidated basis, we generated 37% year-over-year growth and 19 cents of adjusted earnings per share. In civil, first quarter average training center utilization was 56%, which is 1% higher than last quarter, and much higher than the 33% in the first quarter last year. We also delivered 11 full-flight simulators to customers around the world. On the orders front, we signed training solutions contracts valued at $338 million, including five full-flight simulator sales, new four-year business aviation training agreements with Journey Aviation and Gamma Aviation, and a three-year business aviation training agreement with AFCON Jet. We also succeeded to penetrate more share of the traditionally in-sourced airline training market with two new 10-year exclusive aviation training agreements with Scandinavian Airlines, SAS, and WestJet. We are also selected as partner of choice to aircraft OEMs in the Emergent Advanced Air Mobility Market. We're leading the design and development of the Jaunt Aircraft Systems Integration Lab for the company's new all-electric vertical takeoff and landing, or EVTOL aircraft, the Journey aircraft. And just at the end of the quarter, we announced a strategic partnership with Volocopter to develop, certify, and deploy an innovative pilot training program and courseware development for EVTOL operations. On the M&A front, we expanded our position in civil maintenance training with the acquisition of Global Jet Services a proven leader in aviation maintenance training. This duck-in acquisition expands our capabilities with increased addressability of business aircraft and helicopter platforms for maintenance training through world-class regulatory approved training programs. By leveraging our experience in pilot training, we expect this to enable rapid growth for CE in the maintenance training market. In defense, we booked orders for $152 million including newly awarded contracts to the United States Army to provide a new and upgraded maritime integrated training system, and the SOSEC Consortium to design and develop the initial prototype HH-60W <clears throat> Virtual Reality Mixed Reality aircrew Trainer for the United States Air Force. Other notable contracts include continuing to pro- provide upgrades and updates on C-130J training systems for the U.S. Air Force, as well as KC-130J training systems for the U.S. Marine Corps, continuing as as well, continuing to provide in a range of in-service support solutions for the Royal Canadian Air Force's CF-18 aircraft, and continuing to provide management and support of Royal Australian Air Force Aerospace Simulators. Defence also received an order to provide a new part task trainer, a range of updates, and additional train support services for the PC-21 ground-based training system supporting pilot training for the French Air Force. I'm especially pleased with the speed at which the team concluded right after the end of the quarter, our acquisition of L3 Harris military training, having obtained all regulatory approvals and meeting all other closing conditions. We're excited to welcome some 1,600 members of the L3 Harris military training team and to leverage our combined expertise to support the mission of our defense and security customers. Our combined teams are now squarely focused on integration efforts and seizing on on our expanded market opportunities. As testimony to how our position has already been substantially augmented by L3 Harris military training, since the end of the quarter, defense won key positions on three major IDIQs, and two noteworthy prime contracts that together significantly expand CS customer base and market reach. Specifically, we won, this, we won the largest IDI2 contract in CS history, <clears throat> with our prime position on the U.S. General Service Administration, or GSA Astro IDIQ vehicle for data operations, aircraft, development and systems integration, support and training pools. We gain access to four of the five pools because of the three L3 Harris Military Training Acquisition, which in total represents a budget of several billions of dollars over a 10-year period. We also won a prime contract on the Multiple Award Task Order Contract, or MATOC, IDIQ, to provide mission support services for the United States Army Futures Command. Defense also won a position in an important growth domain as a key partner to small business, on the National Cyber Range Complex, IDIQ. Furthermore, Defense won a competitive prime contract with expected life cycle value of $90 million U.S. over eight years to develop simulators and training for the U.S. Air Force Joint Terminal Attack Controllers. And in a, in another first for CA, Defense won a three-letter agency prime contract with the GSA expanding our market penetration into synthetic environment Enhanced multi-domain operational support and training. In healthcare, I'm encouraged by the double-digit year-over-year growth that we have in the quarter, which is driven by our core healthcare simulation and training business. We continue to continue to bring highly innovative solutions to market with the release of CE Vimix 3.2. An advanced software technology that makes our platform the industry's first ultrasound simulator with 3D, 4D ultrasonography, and multi-planar reconstruction for improved fidelity and realism. We also launched CAE ICCU, which is a digital portfolio of learning solutions targeting critical care clinicians for ultrasound education. With that, I'll now turn the call over to Sonia, to will provide additional details about our financial performance. And I'll return at the end of the call to comment on our outlook. Sonia.
0: Thank you, Mark, and good afternoon, everyone. Our results continue to reflect the success of the measures we've taken to strengthen the company both externally in terms of expanding our reach and adapting to dynamic market conditions, and internally to lower our cost structure. Consolidated revenue of $752.7 million was 37% higher compared to the first quarter last year. Adjusted segment operating income was $98.4 million compared to a loss of $2.1 million last year. Quarterly adjusted net income was $55.6 million or 19 cents per share compared to negative 11 cents in the first quarter last year. Cash used in operating activities this quarter was down 46% to $129.1 million compared to $88.4 million in the first quarter of fiscal 2021. Free cash flow was negative $147.6 million compared to $92.7 million last year. We usually see a higher investment in non-cash working capital accounts in the first half of the fiscal year, and as, as in previous years, we expect a portion of the non-cash working capital investment to reverse in the second half. We continue to target 100% conversion of net income to free cash flow for the year. Growth and maintenance capital expenditures totaled $73.9 million this quarter, mainly for growth and specifically to add capacity to our global training network to deliver on the long-term exclusive training contracts in our backlog. Our growth CapEx is directly linked to our opportunities to invest incremental capital with attractive returns on free cash flows. With several attractive market-led expansion investment opportunities on the horizon, we are in good position to deploy more organic capital and so we are raising our expectations for total capital expenditures to more than $250 million in the fiscal year 2022. Income taxes this quarter were $10.3 million, representing an effective tax rate of 18%, compared to 24% for the first quarter last year. Income tax was impacted by restructuring costs this quarter, excluding which the rate would have been 19%. On this basis, the decrease in the tax rate was mainly attributable to beneficial impact of certain tax assets, partially offset by the change in the mix of income from various jurisdictions. Our net debt position at the end of the quarter was $1.6 billion for a net debt to capital ratio of 33.9%. And net debt to adjusted EBITDA was 2.43 times at the end of the quarter. All told, between cash and available credit, we have approximately $2.6 billion of available liquidity. On the restructuring front, we continue to make very good progress. The program is enabling C to best serve the markets by optimizing our global asset base and footprint And adjusting our business to correspond with the expected level of demand and the structural efficiencies that will be enduring. We continue to expect significant annual recurring cost savings to a ramp up of a run rate of approximately 65 to 7 million dollars by the end of the current fiscal year. We began executing our restructuring program in the second quarter last year and as at the end of June 2021, we had incurred a total of 136.2 million dollars of restructuring expenses For the entire program including 12.2 million dollars this quarter we expect to incur total restructuring expenses related to this program of approximately 50 million dollars in fiscal 2022 now turning to our segmented performance in civil first quarter revenue was up 75 percent over q1 last year to 432.9 million dollars and adjusted segment operating income was up to 85 was up $85.9 million over the first quarter last year to $69.7 million for a margin of 16.1%. The civil book to sales ratio for the quarter was 0.78 times and for the rolling 12 month period it was 0.88 times. In defense, fourth quarter revenue of $288.2 million was up 3% over Q1 last year. and adjusted segment operating income was up 37% over last year to $23.7 million margin of 8.2%. The defense to book the sales ratio for the quarter was 0.53 times and 0.87 times for the last 12 months. And in healthcare, fourth quarter revenue was $31.6 million up 42% from $22.3 million in Q1 last year. Adjusted segment operating income was $5 million in a quarter compared to a loss of $2.2 million in Q1 of last year. With that, I will ask Mark to discuss the way forward.
3: Thanks. Arnia. As we look at the period ahead, I expect our positive momentum, momentum to extend throughout the fiscal year and beyond 18 months ago. we were just beginning to confront the most severe shock a company had ever faced. And yet, despite the many uncertainties at that time, we were resolute in our determination not to not only recover from the pandemic but to emerge from it as an even stronger company. We're still in the pandemic and and despite that reality, we've gotten stronger. I'm really encouraged by everything that we've done to reinforce CA's base over the last year, and a year year and a half actually, to expand our horizons for long-term sustainable growth. The slope of our recovery to pre-pandemic levels and beyond continues to depend on the timing and rate at which border restrictions can be safely lifted and normal activities resume in our end markets and in the geographies where we and our customers have significant operation, but not, notwithstanding the really disparate global vaccination rates and the volatility of border restrictions, which continues to obscure the uh, usual market visibility, we still expect strong growth in our core markets this fiscal year, coming mainly in the second half. We draw Confidence from several important moves that we've made to expand and solidify our leadership position, including pursuit of a growth, a growth uh, of a growth opportunities pipeline that has so far netted five acquisitions in civil to consolidate our position and expand into growth adjacencies, and our largest ever acquisition, namely L3 Harris Military Training and Defense, which doubles our presence in the U.S. defense market and accelerates our defense and security strategy. At the same time, as expanding CE's reach externally, we embarked on enterprise-level projects to substantially lower our cost structure and achieve even greater levels of operational excellence. You heard Sonia reiterate our expectations that we'll reach an exit rate this fiscal year of $65 to $70 million for annual recurring cost savings from those initiatives. In civil, we're in an excellent position to benefit from a broader market recovery, which so far has been more narrowly led by domestic air travel, specifically in regions with relatively high vaccination rates and cargo operations. The rebound in domestic operations demonstrates the pent-up demand for air travel and the potential for a rapid ramp-up when restrictions ease. Cross-border and transcontinental operations have continued to lag, as they're much more tied to the easing of border restrictions. But we believe considerable pent-up demand exists there too. At the same time, as a broader market recovery looks to take hold in commercial aviation, we intend to continue expanding our market share and securing new and, and securing new customer partnerships, drawn from a large pipeline of airline prospects. We're also succeeding to expand our civil addressable market by over $1 billion to over $6 billion by extending beyond pilot training solutions into the rapidly growing market for digitally enabled crew optimization services and aircraft maintenance training services. In business aviation, demand has rebounded at a very rapid pace with current flight activity in the US now exceeding 2019 levels and approaching the prior levels in Europe. This bodes very well for pilot hiring and business aviation training demand in this highly important segment of the civil training market. Much of the current demand is coming from first-time consumers of private aviation, and we believe the market has structurally expanded as a result. Civil full-flight simulator sales are driven by new uh, new aircraft deliveries, which are showing signs of improvement. The total market for simulator products Remains remain small at present, but we expect to remain our, re, maintain our leading share of available full-flight simulator sales. We still expect to deliver upwards of 30 in fiscal year 2022, driven mainly from backlogs. We're also expecting to build on our initial successes in the emerging advanced air mobility market, which we see as a new potential secular driver for pilot training, and she is expertise in modeling simulation. Already, with selections by OEMs, including John Air Mobility and Volocopter, we see an important leadership role for CE, helping to shape the training standard for an estimated 60,000 new pilots by 2028 in support of this entirely new modality of air transportation. In defense, the the rapid closing of the L3 Harris military training acquisition provides greater definition to the remainder of fiscal 2022 and beyond. And our focus will be on successful integration of this acquisition. International opportunities are somewhat slower to materialize in the current environment, but we see this headwind as temporary. And we have a strong pipeline with some $5.8 million of bids and proposals pending customer decisions. From a balanced standpoint, having now substantially augmented our presence in the defense segment and in the united states in particular we expect defense to benefit from the great, from the greater government budgetary stability that this provides Seas defense business has become the world's leading platform agnostic global training and simulation pure play and we're very excited about the increased potential that that brings to capture business around the world accelerated with the expanded capability and customer set that we now possess. Our new prime positions, on major IDIQs and our contract to develop simulators and training for the United States Air Force Joint Terminal Attack Controllers are all perfect examples of what we mean by synergies and how L3 Harris military training expands our core offerings across multi-domain operations and brings access to new customers and programs. Our defense priorities are focused on the long-term and, and investing in our leading position as a training and mission support partner with leading-edge capabilities in digital immersion. We're also enhancing our position by laying the groundwork to strategically team with major OEMs on next-generation platforms. With our expertise in the integration of live, virtual, and constructive training, along with our newly expanded capabilities to address mission and operation support, we believe will make significant inroads into the broader defense market in the years ahead. And lastly, in healthcare, I believe we have the right team in place, including a reinvigorated front end to fully leverage the greater market appreciation of the benefits of healthcare simulation and training to improve safety and to help save lives. We're making deliberate moves to increase our addressable market, and access the larger pools or the largest pools of value in healthcare training, like nursing and in the military. Here too, we expect good momentum, and I look forward to gaining substantial, sustainable scale with our innovative solutions to make healthcare safer. In summary, CA is poised to benefit from how the world is changing in a post-COVID-19 environment, and we adapted our growth strategy to seize on the opportunities presented by these new realities. We've made several important moves over the last year and a half to expand and strengthen our position, and the investment thesis for CAE is more compelling than ever. We look forward to strong growth in the year ahead and superior and sustainable growth and strong free cash flows over the long term. With that, I thank you for your attention, and we're now ready to answer your questions.
2: Operator, will now be pleased to take questions from analysts and institutional
4: investors.
1: Thank you. If you would like to register a question, please press the 1-4 on your telephone. You will hear a three-tone prompt to acknowledge your request. If your question has been answered and you would like to withdraw your registration, please press the 1-4 by the 3. One moment, please, for the first question. Our first question comes from uh, Connor Gupta with Scotia Bank. Please proceed.
5: Thanks and uh, good afternoon, everyone. Um, so maybe uh, the first question on the order activity: uh, the book-to-sales ratio was uh, a bit low in the first quarter for both civil and defense segments. Uh, did you see any uh, delays um, and or any cancellations that may have impacted the orders? Uh,
3: no, specifically, no, no, uh, no, no real, no cancellations for sure, uh, Connor. Uh, continued headwinds on timing of international orders in defense I mentioned that on the call Uh, it's still there's still some COVID uh, impacts there things are not back to normal uh, not only in civil but in in defense overall because again the travel restrictions and and basically just you know things just not being back to normal so we're seeing that internationally that's affecting things but if you look defense in particular you know, I've never been a fan, and I've said this many times before, to not look at uh orders on the defence side on a uh on a quarterly basis. I, I would look at a twelve runway twelve month runway. And and even on that base you you would come to the conclusion it's Bill one. But I would I would point to the recent orders that we've had and the and the really very, very encouraging you know, uh, awards on, not only on orders, but on I, IDIQs that we've gotten since the quarter, and specifically since we've done the, uh, the, the completed the acquisition of L3 Harris Mills and Train. That, that is, uh, you know, of course that doesn't materialize into order intake, it's kind of a license to play, but the fact that you selected prime on those IDIQs, is a very strong indication because that gives you access to literally billions of dollars over the next few years. So I'm very encouraged by that, so I'm not overly concerned, you know, on a, on a sustained basis. On the civil side, uh, I think what I point to a couple of things, if you look at, you know, we've made those secret that uh, simulator orders are going to be slow uh, in the quarter, so we, don't, we didn't expect to, to have a book to bill anywhere near one for <clears throat> on the product standpoint. Uh, at this time uh and on sale if i look at training itself train the if you were to take training itself a book to book to bill is higher than one and and i think that important thing to note there as well is if you look at our business yet business the book to bill it's it, you know business jets is a trans, largely transactional business so the book to bill is always around one Uh, kind of you uh, just because of the way we run we booked that business so if we're above one you know substantially it means that we're quite a bit above one in the commercial aviation training business so that's the way I would look at things if that gives you a bit more color
5: that's very helpful mark thank you and you mentioned uh, the three IDIQ contracts Uh, so congrats on that and the two prime contracts as well um, just to clarify, do they do these five contracts belong to the acquired L3 Harris business, or is it for the existing business, defense?
3: Well, they don't belong to us because we own uh, uh, the L3 Harris military training business, and it was bid uh, by L3 uh, the, uh, Harris Link, and uh, Link is now owned by us, so there are contracts. There are RDIQs.
5: No, I, I'm sorry, just just to be Um, I I wanted to understand, um, is it uh, related to the L3 Harris asset that you acquired or is it
3: outside of that asset? Okay, well, yes, part of it is, like, uh, I'll give you the IDIQs, for example, uh, on those IDIQs, there's various pools, one of them is training. Okay, so there was five pools, I won't go through the details of all the pools, but uh, L3 Harris link bid on five of those pools. And they were, they, or actually I'm not sure it was five, but they they were selected as prime on five out of the 10 pools, okay. We were selected on one of those CAE, legacy, if I could call it legacy for a moment we were selected on one of the pools which was training as prime contractor. So as a result of this, and what you know, we get from the acquisition is obviously a prime position on those other pools which directly come, across, come, come about as a result of the acquisition. The other, uh, the other order that I would point to is the $90 million order for uh, the, the tra- training system for the JTAX, U.S. Air Force JTAX, that comes from the uh, link acquisition as well. That's
5: great, Thanks. And uh, last one for me before I turn it over, uh, maybe for Sonia. Uh, So you you raised the CapEx uh, guidance uh, slightly, and uh, you are still expecting 100% free cash flow conversion. Should we interpret that as uh, you're expecting higher net income versus your prior expectations this year, or is it the better working capital performance that you're expecting Thanks.
0: So uh, free cash flow is negative in the quarter and really driven by non-cash working capital here. And and really what we see there is the usual seasonality. Um, we, there's usually a, a larger amount of kind of annual um, annual payments in the first and in the first quarter in the first half, and and, and also maybe a bit of volume um maybe a bit of volume uh shift from q4 to q1 uh now so so really the variation here uh is that we expect this to reverse in part in the in the second half as we as we've done before uh because we keep a continued laser focus on on uh, working capital metrics and optimizing that uh and and really still diving to the 100 percent then comes the free cash flow conversion. Now, uh, I just kind of highlight that the free cash flow, as we've defined it, does not include the growth capex, right? So, so the capex um, uh, increase to over $250 million uh, is not included in that free cash flow. And, and, if I may on the, on the the capex, uh, one of the reasons that we have uh, raised our our view on that is really I think a, a positive development um, and and uh, to to tag on to what uh, Mark was saying, we are seeing some some good orders on the training side, on the commercial side as airlines. Um, you know, uh, need and request more capacity. So they're not only asking for more capacity, but some of these airlines that, that we're working with uh, are we're seeing some change behaviors. Whereas they would have purchased the simulator um, uh, in prior to COVID, we're entering into uh, long-term training agreements, and and that's one of the reasons um, that we've increased our view on on the capex. And I'll remind you that the organic. Capex is is really the most accretive capital and growth uh, investment um, that that we have, delivering 20 to 30 uh, percent incremental returns in in the first two to three years, and the best example of growth compounding that we have.
5: If I can clarify, Sonia, yeah, why why would you need to invest into incremental capacity when when your utilization levels are still below 60 percent, let's say? I mean, like, you should, should you not have, uh, you know, excess capacity in your training centers already? I'm like, where is the demand coming from?
3: Well, it's, uh, you know, it goes, I'll answer that one in the corner. It goes directly to the question of different behaviors being exhibited by by airlines, which we pointed to, you know, that airlines are basically looking to, you know, change from a traditional in-source kind of model to, exact, uh, to looking more at an outsource model. You know, we... We keep on commenting on that. That we have more conversations today to just to that to that result. So you know, we announced like two um, two outsourcing this quarter, where we have got two 10-year contracts with two separate airlines on those type of those type of deals. So what you see is airlines investing in, this, in new capacity, mainly for new aircraft. And rather than going through the model of basically investing in the simulators, they're turning over and signing long-term contracts with us. So that's what you're seeing here. So a lot of that incremental capex is exactly for that kind of uh, for that kind of behavior. And and you know as we we're saying that we've said many times and we've demonstrated investing in that type of of capex uh, of is the best example of growth compounding that we have because we won't invest in it unless we see the type of return accretion that you know basically we've presented a streak uh which is very quite nice thank you so that's the kind of that's that's what we're seeing and to your question of you know we're we're still operating at say you know 56 percent capacity well this once the mark once the market is back to normal and we fully expect to return let's say apples to apples on the same level let's say the same level of, of capacity well what we're talking this capex in investing is incremental to that
0: yeah, and I just add that the demand is linked to either new platforms or platforms where we don't have excess capacity of course if we have uh, simulators that that are underutilized and that's part of the restructuring program we move them around to match up with demand and so these contracts uh, are for
5: uh, platforms here that uh, that are under under or already all utilized or new. I Appreciate the time, thank
1: you. Our next question comes from Kevin Chang with CIBC. Please proceed.
4: Thanks. Thanks for taking my my question. Maybe just two two for me. Um, it, it, it does seem like. I guess during this pandemic you've uh you've invested in some you know, some of these adjacent services. You talked about the maintenance training acquisition, you've been you've been growing the the crew management. J- just wondering how you think about the adjacent service opportunities you can bolt on in, into civil, I guess over the medium to longer term, are there areas you still want to focus on that, that you that you don't offer now? Uh and then are you seeing benefits from cross selling? I I presume that, that that's the end goal here where or someone comes to you for pilot training maybe maintenance training and and, and to manage their crews as well is, is that kind of a the, the best case scenario as you as you bring this all together
3: well absolutely i mean that's that's definitely a big part of it uh kevin you know, It's traditional basic you know enlarging the it's like traditional share of wallet we we like to in all of our in all of our transactions with our customers and that's been our model all along is, is always to try to make ourselves You know, more relevant, more important to our partners, and and being you know training partner choice, but moving into more of we call it mission operations and defense. In civil, it's capturing more of their needs around the pilots, around the technician, around their operations. So, maintenance training is a national, it's a natural one. We've done it, uh, we have a very nice franchise of doing that in business aircraft. In commercial aircraft, we we basically embarked on that in you know, in a relatively good way with Pelesys, for example, when we acquired that, and we're expanding upon it here with this acquisition that we're doing in, in this bolt-on in the United States. I feel very good about the growth of that market. The technician market is one that is poised to grow for the same reason that the pilot, uh, the, the need for pilots is going to grow. Uh, it's a tenured. It's a, it's a it's on a on an av- average basis. On the world, it's a very tenured workforce. It's a regulated market in terms of, especially in Europe, where you need technicians with uh, with uh, certifications. So it's a it's a natural market for us. Beyond that, again, that we're moving into a more so- software-enabled solutions. That, that was what we did with Merlot, with Roster Buster, and RB group and again we're making ourselves more essential to our customers, and they already outsource these these uh, these solutions or they're, they're open to outsource the solutions because we're able to address you know hot buttons that that basically are not core to them. And, and,
4: and maybe just a clip. Have, have you seen? I guess like, have you been able to cross-sell some of these newly acquired services within your your core customer base? And and, and when you think about the addressable market now, uh, I, I think well, I think earlier this year you talked about civil being a 6.1 billion addressable market. Now with the maintenance training uh, capabilities, give a sense of how big that pie is 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 today.
3: Well, at the moment, that you know, when I talk 6 billion, it's about the market that we see including those, those additions. Okay. Okay. Uh, I, I mean, think the second one for
4: me, it's just, just turning to healthcare, um, it, it, in your outlook, in your, in your press release, you, you, you highlighted the, the growing nurse shortage uh, in your outlook as a, as, a, as a, I guess a long-term tailwind for, for healthcare and the services you provide. I'm just wondering when you talk to healthcare customers, are you seeing, I guess, a similar realization like you see in civil and defense, whereby they recognize that, that simulated training can help free up labor, or is this something you have to educate these customers on? And so, you know, that, that might extend out into, you know, that might extend out the the you know this this labor shortage issue in terms of you know a, a revenue recognition opportunity for for you over at CAU.
3: Well for sure, I look at a macro level, and I was saying in my comments, we definitely see the nursing the, the nursing shortage that exists and is is poised to 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 increase as a catalyst to our business as a catalyst for business because you know if you you're talking about you need uh, you need more nurses, you need more courses for nurse, nurses you need you need more slots in nursing schools, who do we sell our products and solutions to to nursing schools training hospitals those kind of things so To just that's the first order uh, response to that beyond that it's the fact that you can you with by using simulation based training you can make them more effective you can provide value to those schools whereas by using their product they can then make themselves more relevant you know in in a lot of cases in in, for example the United States is over there more for-profit operations so if they can have a nursing program that is steeped in in modern technology using uh, medical mannequins and digital solutions that that is more appealing for example for students who are looking to get a degree in the, in that particular market so all of it contributes to you know how we see the the, uh, the, the market in health care but that 's just one of the components it 's a good one it 's an important one but if I think, if I look at all of the the catalyst in in basically for our business they're just coming out of the pandemic i mean healthcare is, is i mean there's never been a time where healthcare is more on everybody's mind and you know we're reinvigorating uh, the whole organization we we're basically concentrating on the core business which you know as you commented in in, in nursing for example but we see opportunities big opportunities for example in the military on government or uh, para-government para- 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 organizations like, for example, uh, <clears throat> the FEMA in the, United, in the United States, for example, Federal Emergency Management Agency, where we can bring <clears throat> simulation-based training solutions to the fold. Uh, so uh, I, I, we are ramping up in healthcare, and I'm very, very confident of a nice growth, growth profile that would be good for our business.
4: That that's great to call Thank you very much for taking my questions.
1: Our next question comes from Tim James with TD Securities. Please proceed.
6: Thanks very much. Um, Mark, I'm just wondering if you could talk for a minute about um, type certification versus ab initio versus recurrent training activity that that you're seeing throughout the network. and may, maybe just commenting on how each is faring relative to um, If we use say fiscal 2020 as kind of a baseline. I'm just trying to understand how the relative strength of their rebounds have been um, I would say that uh, well first of all type
3: rating uh, Basically our, our business and commercial aviation training. It's pretty much uh, operating in lockstep with the the flying activity and that's what comment around that's the that's a first-order catalyst so when you think about the the utilization in our overall training centers i would i would say that business aircraft is doing pretty darn well uh because of the level of activity there in the u.s we're doing uh, very well that's training centers and high levels of operation uh rest of rest of the world in commercial aviation not so much because of still border restrictions and very uneven levels of uh of, of vaccination so Europe, uh, it, if you take, uh, you know, I average 56%, it'd be, you know, significantly lower than that. Asia, I would tell you, is still, you know, quite a bit behind because of, again, that, you know, the, the level of very low va- level of vaccination. So in the, just in the past few weeks, we've had closures of centers in Vietnam and Kuala Lumpur in Australia even. So it's still, so the fact that, and I, I see that as, you know, perversely might say very positive because we're, make, we're able to make the amount of return that we're making on 56% utilization with those dynamics. I feel pretty darn good as the rest of the world recovers like the United States does, which will happen. That's not, that's not a question. And, you know, having traveled internationally myself recently, and I don't know if you have, but the level of hoops that you have to go through to, to fly internationally, you really don't want to. <laughs> so when that, but when that starts getting reduced. I think we're going to see a lot of pent up demand. In terms of ab initial activity, it's very, it's actually very strong. We we haven't really reduced the level of flying activity. The only the only areas where we have to reduce is, for example, in Australia because you know a very strict lockdown forces to close our schools. Back up now, but that's the kind of activity. In fact, what you see is airlines uh, that uh, are are anticipating. A renewed pilot shortage and an increasing so we're seeing orders from major airlines increasing their number of cadets in our flight schools uh, in a significant manner so that that's a positive uh, for sure i don 't know if that gives you a or oh, products products but it's what I said you know whenever and this is historical whenever there's a crisis uh, even though the Products products uh, or so simulator deliveries are tied highly to deliveries There's always a lag when you have a shock and of course this is the mother of all shocks. There's always a lag before airlines start to uh, buy simulators in earnest So we're seeing that that's why we you know we anticipated that you know We're not going to get back to the level of orders that we had pre pandemic for some time But we're starting to see a recovery, you know, we had five and a quarter which you know, I don't. I wouldn't call it a run rate, but, you know, I'm encouraged by that, and I'm encouraged by the level of activity. I think airlines are seeing it come back. You know, Airbus is increasing uh, deliveries next year. You know, we see uh, the big four U.S. airlines, you know, recall 3,500 pilots, 6,000 flight attendants. We saw uh, United Airlines ordered uh, 200 uh, maxes and 321s. and 321s. And, and, of course, again, you know, TSA passenger throughput, in the USA, uh, it's continued to reach high, very high levels. We're back at 80% pre-COVID. So it's it's all pretty positive signs, but I don't know if that
6: gives you a, a good answer, Tim. No, that's very helpful, Mark. Thank you. Very helpful. Um, just on the 737 MAX, I know... Um, when the issues were kind of working their way through, I guess we got to go back more than a year ago now. Um, C was building some some simulators, some Mac simulators in anticipation of demand, and, and maybe not, you know, based on contracts in hand. How how does the um, how, how do those those simulators and your if you're carrying any of those or have all those Mac simulators more or less been spoken for? And are we kind of back to a normal trend in terms of of uh, Max simulators that would be uh, being produced in CA facilities.
3: Yeah, no, we have nothing. We have no backlog of seven three seven Max. are all delivered,
6: and I uh, anticipate good demand for seven three seven Max. Okay, great. And then my last question, um, and, and there's great color on sort of where defence orders are coming from, Um, I'm just wondering specifically that, you know, there was a very nice increase, uh, as you've talked about in the bid pipeline, I guess over a billion dollars relative to the end of fiscal 21. This is on the defence side, of course. Um, Are there any platforms or, you know, trends you're seeing or areas where, uh, that account for that big step up in, uh, in, in the bid pipelines? Any, you know, Warfare types, any any kind of markets you could point to, or is it really across the board?
3: Well, it's across the board, but obviously uh, the U.S. Is a, is a largest defense market in the world, so you expect that's a high level. But having said that, you know the the contracts that we go after internationally are are large contracts uh, that uh, you know basically establish turnkey uh, train centers for fighters, that kind of thing. Uh, we have a number of of, uh, of countries that we're looking to do that uh, specifically some of those talks are going slow because of the pandemic but and that's where, where we're saying some of that order activity is a bit protracted protracted but you know if your question is i mean is is it is that order pipeline uh if you like uh you know is it sensitive to you know one or two major bids? i would tell you no that's across the board
6: okay thank you very much
1: Our next question comes from Fadi Shamu with BMO. Please proceed. If you're
3: talking, Fadi, we can't hear you.
7: Hi. um, I was on mute. Apologies. Good afternoon. So so I was wondering on the uh, SAS and WestJet, were there assets? commitment on your part towards these outsourcing deals, or is it uh, purely
3: kind of service side? It's asset commitments, but asset that we, you know, we put in the asset and it's part of the increased capEx that we're talking about on on both uh, on both uh, uh, both airlines. so you know, it's basically they don't, they don't invest in the simulator, but you know we get in these two cases ten year exclusive contracts. Uh, to uh, for for training on those platforms for those airlines that's essentially it okay um, my
7: second question is um, can as you as you look at this year um, can you give us kind of an idea about kind of what is the contribution that you're expecting in terms of maybe revenues or operating income uh, from the acquisitions that you've made, and also, if you can give us an idea about how much contribution you expect to realize on a full-year basis from that sixty-five, seventy million restructuring program.
3: Well, I, I you know, I'll, give, I'll let uh, Sonia talk a bit more specifically. The biggest one, obviously, is is Alfred Harris. Uh, well, we're very, very happy to have been able to close this. Uh, you know after giving us really uh, i guess three three pretty much three four quarters so you know what we said in the past that's probably a 500 billion dollar business so we get 9 months of it so uh a quick mask that tells me what we should be get, able to get. But having said that, uh, you can well imagine that having closed it early brings its own share of complexities. And <laughs> we're going through, going through putting these two sets of uh, of numbers together, the teams together. So we're solely focused on on the uh, on integration right now. So the heavy lifting before we can be very definitive. But but I think that's what we just on that big one, which is of course the big the big dog in this we would get. Uh, Sonia, maybe you'll comment on the others?
0: And... Yes, uh, so Mark, uh, as, as, as Mark mentioned, completely focused on the integration. Um, you know, We had said it would be immediately the accretive uh, double-digit EPS accretive in the first full year um, of operation. So that's uh, FY23. And working up to a run rate of, of synergies of 35 to 45 million dollars, uh, also in, uh, in, um, in that EPS accretion in the first full year uh, after closing, uh, so so you know, I would go with those metrics on on the restructuring program, study For for full year, uh, what we've uh, given a guidance is 65 to 70 million dollars of recurring structural savings, and and uh, we're building up to to that run rate over this year. So this uh, this quarter alone, we've uh, we've kind of flowed through about 15% of that annual target, uh, and that's already kind of. Uh, uh, I think good progress, and we continue to um, advance on that progress as we optimize locations and continue relocations of simulators. So, so we'll see that wrapping up throughout the year, and, and a little bit more in the second half as well.
7: Okay, and and maybe follow up on this question specifically on the aviation side. Uh, you know, now that you've kind of overlapped the hardest quarter last year your run rate ebit in that business is about 250 million for the last four quarters um you know based on what you're seeing in both delivery of full flight simulators and opportunities on the services side like would you kind of maybe uh give us maybe a, an overall range of where do you think organic growth will look like as we go into the next 9 months and year
0: so, what we, we didn't give specific financial guidance really because the visibility is still quite opaque on, on uh, I think the level of uh, the border restrictions, the volatility on travel restrictions, and, and that's the main driver to drive a, a lot of the recovery there. Now, so, um, but what we said is that we expect uh, very strong year-over-year growth. If so, on uh, recovery, on the flow-through of those cost savings, uh, you know, we're, we're, we have got about we um, delivered about 70 million dollars of SOI this quarter at a 16 percent margin, and that's at 56 percent utilization um, and 11 deliveries in the quarter. And and uh, Mark went into some detail on on kind of the volatility that we see across regions. So you know, as that recovery ramps up and the the rest of the cost savings ramp up, uh, we'll we'll see uh, the SOI follow and and the margins as well.
3: Yeah, if you try to break it down, Patty, a little bit, though, you think about just, as you say, if you're, you're looking civil alone, uh, to break it down, uh, if take you know, uh, revenue and earnings from simulators, well, I mean, we've said we'll, we expect to deliver about 30 for backlog. Okay, so you make your mind up what that looks like. Then you look at, we talked about our Level of uh, training activity in our uh, flight training, our STOs and I talked about that. That's pretty even because it, you don't see big swings about that because that's kind of a, uh, you know, you, you you basically book your revenue as you're flying, so you don't need huge swings, but I would tell you it's on the increase. Uh, and when you look at the rest, business aviation training is doing very well because business air, air, aircraft training is, is on a high. Yeah, you We're in our Q2 that's seasonably the low quarter, so you would expect it to go in two, three, two, four. And then then you have commercial. Commercial is the one that is the wild card because that's the one, as Sonia was saying, that is really exposed to, you know, the, the variability in, in, in the vaccination rates and, and border restrictions. So that's the one that caused the most headache in predictability. U.S., you know, doing great. It was doing really good. So Europe I'm still low, but it, you know we're seeing signs of, uh, signs of promise there. And Asia, well, uh, I think it's tied to the vaccination rates. So I guess that's the best <laughs> best crystal ball I can give you. Okay, great. Um, the SAS and WestJet
7: go into effect uh, now, basically.
3: Uh, well, no, we have to... Well, the
0: agreements are signed, and, uh, and we're going to build the, the, the simulators
3: to deploy. Okay. Okay, thank you.
1: Our next question comes from Cameron Dirksen with National Bank Financial. Please proceed.
2: Uh, yeah, thanks very much. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, just one question for me. I'm just wondering if you can uh, expand a little bit more on the uh, the latest uh, R&D program that you've announced. Uh, I know you've kind of highlighted the advanced uh, air mobility and, and AI and some other things in there, but just wondering sort of if you can provide any more specifics. And, and you know, just wondering, you know, what kind of new capabilities are you looking to develop at CAE that that maybe you didn't have before, or, or maybe that you were underrepresented in before.
3: Well, I'm, a lot of it's to do with furthering the core competencies that we have. I mean, some is in new areas, specifically like. Or uh, er, development of capabilities among uh, urban air vehicles. We talk about electric hybrid aircraft, uh, green technologies. That's another one. Other, others are you know, continuing the, the the path we were on on everything digital in our business. Basically, using using data, using the data that we get from our from our business to delight uh, to to basically develop, develop technologies to allow us to be more important to our customer. and get. Uh, data enabled revenue streams from that and and a lot of it has to do with furthering our expertise around the experts in the world in creating these synthetic environments that are so important to uh, warfare specifically when that 's what I talked about specifically one of the uh, the great outcomes coming out of the acquisition in uh, of, of L3 Harris is We are now, we now have capabilities, strong capabilities in all five domains. And because the military is now focused on basically preparing uh, for a near-peer fight, because again, what does the military do when they're not in operations? Well, they train for operation, they train for war. So what they train for? They train for what they call the near-peer fight. And the near-peer fight is one that you can only really do virtually and that in order to be able to do that you have to you have to create an environment which is a synthetic environment in which the military can exercise in we are world class at that and but again nothing stands still in life and we basically continue to invest in and D to make sure that we continue to hold to, to hone those skills that makes us the best in the world and, and and more relevant to our customers those are some of the things that i, that I was talking about Okay. No, that, that's helpful. Thanks very much.
1: Our next question comes from uh, Benoit Poirier with Dejardin Capital Markets. Please proceed.
7: Yeah. Good morning. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, during the quarter, we've seen some uh, big aircraft orders. Could those initial steps could lead? Could they lead to some sizable training opportunities?
3: Well, for sure for sure i've uh, been what as we said before to the extent that they uh they, they're going to translate into in- incremental deliveries and and uh you see as i was mentioning airbus increasing your air production rates then that's going to uh, inevitably result in more simulators uh in the, needed in the market and we fully expect <clears throat> to maintain our market lead you know specifically we've gone even, you know more uh lead in that market with the acquisitions are true so i think that will be good for us as well A training market as well they're going to need incremental capacity whether that, that gets deployed in terms of simulators or basically uh outsource training okay
7: and Sonia, with respect to your uh, increased capex guidance this year could could you maybe provide some color on how it will flow to uh return on capital employee matrix over time and whether the the, the ramp up in uh uh contrib- accretive contribution is over a few years
0: um absolutely and so you know as we were talking and, and great examples is that these are all uh market-led uh, you know contract secured opportunities uh, and so that means the ramp up uh, is is much faster now. Uh, there's some commercial, of course, as we've talked about in some of the contracts that we've signed, but also uh, a good amount of of uh, investment in business jet side and deploying them to our network uh, in line with that uh, strong demand uh, and and that that market that's recovering nicely. So uh, you know the growth CapEx uh, organic growth CapEx is the most accretive capital that we deploy um, and and generally, I and mean, we've seen historically, and, and uh, in, in what we see ahead, uh, have a high incremental uh, return on capital. Often within the, the first couple of years, they're in the 20 to 30% return on capital range. So this is very much in line with those metrics and those expectations.
7: Thank you. That's a-
0: Thank you.
2: Uh,
4: there are no further enough. questions at this
1: time.
2: Operator, if there are any further questions, what do people need
1: to press? As a reminder, to register a question, please press the 1-4 on your telephone. We do have a question from Anoa Poponek with Goldman Sachs. Please proceed.
8: Hi, thanks for that, because I missed the uh, 1-4 instruction the first time. Uh, good afternoon, everybody.
3: Thanks, Noah. We got your email. <laughs> Thank you.
8: <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, I, I had understood your prior comments to suggest that, you know, with a quarter under your belt here, uh, you know, civil a little firmer, BizJet a lot firmer, the L3 deal closed, that you would maybe be providing more formal guidance and outlook commentary this quarter. And I'm just curious, you know, did I interpret that incorrectly or did did Delta variant or the, the end market keep you from doing that? And, you know, when do you think you might have enough visibility to provide a, a more formal outlook? No,
3: no I, think you're, I think you're right, Noah. That's what we said. We, you know, last, when we were there last last quarter at the, the same time, I fully expected to be able to provide more specifics to that. I mean, uh, to what level of specifics? You know, to, to be honest, more than now, more than now. But uh, I don't know how much more, but, look, I. I The reality is that uh the i think we're not basically not alone in this Uh, to me we still don't have enough visibility of the recovery and vaccination and and you know basically resultant you know reduction in travel restrictions out of that market and even even europe is a bit challenging to predict right now so i i know enough to be able to predict that it's going to be we're going to see strong growth and especially specifically in the back half uh, we're in a seasonably low quarter now uh, for flying activity. This year's no, if I talk about commercial aviation, that's no different than the other year. Somewhat affected by COVID, but the the the, the, tradi- the, the traditional patterns that we see where airlines in the summer are flying in the Western Hemisphere and they're, they're not training, we see some of that. So, but that's going to recover in Q3, Q4, but to provide any, you know, uh, uh, guidance that's going to be you know, to me that i can really hang my hat on that it's neither going to be uh, over the top or underwhelming I, I need more specifics we tend to be um, you know and that's i think we've always been that way a bit conservative with regards to providing any outlook on that basis
8: has the has has the actual business not evolved quite how you thought it would in terms of utilization rate or order flow or customer activity or is this really, you know, that COVID has progressed in a way that just hasn't become as incrementally, you know, visible as you thought it might? I think the latter. The latter. Okay.
3: Is, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's basically that. The business is going the way I would have anticipated it.
8: Okay. Business and aircraft
3: is doing, business, in fact, business aircraft is doing better, specifically in the United States
8: right okay okay That that's a good clarification and mark you've mentioned a few times how you're in the seasonally light quarter uh for civil and, and and we can see that in the model going back over time that's usually the case it's not always the case but it's usually the case um it, it, are you expecting that to be the case this year because you're you have the normal seasonality but then you just have the you know working off the very low base that COVID has created so are you expecting that to be the case
3: no, definitely. That's going to be the case. I can tell you that's the case right now in business aircraft, even though we have a lot of we have a lot of training going on. It's not as much training as we could. And uh, and, the, and the reason for that is because the level of flying activity is, is higher than it was prior to COVID. Uh, so when pilots are, are flying, they're not training. Uh, and, right. it, and it takes you, you got it. I'm a, I'm a I'm a business aircraft pilot myself, and I can tell you, it, it takes time. You really got to plan to be able to, <clears throat> to manage your schedule and, and book off uh, you know a week to go and do training, which is what you have to do. So we see those dynamics, and we expect to see it again. That, that we we see it again this year. It's somewhat skewed by as as mentioned by COVID, uh, but I, the season pattern still is there, and that's part okay. of the reason why we're you know basically giving more of the growth towards the back half. Got it. We see that the bus, by the way, as well. I would, I would comment that we want we to see the seasonal, seasonal variability with regards to our deliveries as well, because same as last year or every year, we have shut down in our factory. And This year, we really, really shut it down and for an extended period because of COVID-related issues. So that means you're not building simulators. So when we talk about 30 simulators for the year, you know, you're going to be more steward to the back half even though they're coming from backlog. Makes sense.
8: And I'm just gonna sneak in one more. Um, I'm a little surprised by the rate of change in civil EBIT dollars compared to revenue dollars sequentially, just given BizJet is stronger and that's higher margin, and then typically with the utilization rate, uh, or or we've seen with the utilization rate being kind of flattish sequentially that that's the phenomenon of the JVs that you have Um, that flow through EBIT differently than than revenue dollars. So can you, is there a way to help me square up the the variance there? Maybe Sonia, why
0: not? Yeah, well on the margin front, it's really a question of mix. Uh, You know, Q4 had a very strong uh, BAT contribution or proportion and so BAT uh, with the highest margin kind of creates uh, some volatility in the margins and as we discussed with uh, the JVs, in terms of um, in terms of the top and the bottom line, so uh, both top and bottom line growth uh, on both sides and several variables here. You saw growth from utilization and also on, on the cost side, uh, you saw growth or, or profitability growth uh, coming from some of the cost savings. Right? So a lot of the restructuring program is across the, the board on the company, but a large proportion goes to, um, goes to uh, uh, the civil side. But you also saw with, that the deliveries were lower quarter over quarter. Right, so so where you had uh, some some progress uh, on, on those fronts, uh, you had a, a, a bit of lower deliveries in Q1 versus Q4.
8: Okay, okay, I'll leave it there, thanks so much.
2: Great, operator, I want to thank every, uh, everyone from the financial community for uh, participating and for their questions. And with the time remaining, we'll open the lines uh, to members of the media, should there be any additional questions from members
1: of the media, we ready to take them. As a reminder to register a question, please press the 1-4 on your telephone. Okay, well, if
2: there are no questions uh, remaining, uh, we'll uh, conclude the call. And again, thank everyone for joining us today. A transcript of today's call can be found uh, later this
4: afternoon on today's on the CA's website. Thank you.
1: That does conclude the conference call for today. We thank you for your participation and ask that you please disconnect your line. Have a great day, everyone.